was nice to be able to just go away on a family vacation. It was probably the best one ever. Uh, the kids didn't fight, and when they did, we just threw one in the back with the in-laws in their vehicle, and uh, it was like peace. You know, it was really, I was... It was, it was excellent. Uh, and, uh, you know, going away is always good, but coming back, man, there's just something about being back. Uh, you know, coming back and seeing family, my, my, my family, my friends, my, my Kingsway family. Uh, and as I got back, you know, from vacation, I realized there's a lot going on. Man, I come back and the world's at war. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's turmoil. There's grief. There's, you just read about these things that come across your, your uh, you know, Twitter feed and whatever. It's like, man, this, like, there's just a lot going on in our world right now. And then as I began to talk with people, I realized there's a lot going on in their worlds as well. That there's, you know, turmoil in marriages, war going on in families, uh, illness, grief, pain, some big, big stuff going on. I was like, as I, as I came, I was thinking about, you know, about all of that. And I was just kind of reminded of the old analogy of, uh, you know, the orange. You squeeze an orange and that's when you find out what's in it. And hopefully it's orange juice. But the same thing applies to people and to Christians alike. When you squeeze them, you find out what's in there. And I'm not talking about like one of Fabian's hugs where it squeezes life out of you, right? It's, it's more of, it's where it's, you know, the pressures of life start to reveal, stuff starts coming out. And, and maybe, you know, if you've gone through some things or you're around people who are going through some t- tough stuff, that pressure, what's coming out? Maybe, maybe the response is worry or anxiety or, or, or anger or, you know, unsavory words that are coming out in those moments of pressure, and you're like, wait, where did that come from? And, you know, for others, maybe it's, you know, and all of that pressure, what comes out of it is peace. Peace that doesn't really make sense, that you're at peace in that, in that moment. Or hope that just is like, just doesn't disappoint and carries on. Uh, or a joy. Or maybe it's his words that are coming out of your mouth in those, uh, in those moments. And we're like, what makes, that, what makes that difference? Because it's the same pressure, it's the same thing, but it, it reveals what's going on inside. And so... This morning, I'd encourage you to take some notes, grab one of those note pages in front of you. We're going to reference a number of scriptures today, especially in the beginning that we're not actually going to turn to, but I'd love for you to jot those down. Uh, but as we're writing and, you know, maybe you're jotting down some of the things you hear me speak uh, this morning, I think mo- most important is that we just r- remain attentive for his voice. Lord, what do you, what do you, why am I here today? What do you want me to hear today? Help me hear that this morning, and, and then above all, just to be aware of his presence. I don't know if you realize that the presence of the Lord of all creation is here this morning. Do you know, do you know that? Do you know that? And I'm not saying, oh, just because God is everywhere. It's those times where we slow down, where we actually connect with the very presence of God, heart to heart, spirit to spirit. There's, there's, there's nothing, nothing like that. But it takes us just slowing down, saying, okay, Lord, man, I'm aware of you, the God of all creation. Oh, man, that you would think about me is crazy. But, Lord, I'm open this morning. And I pray that's our hearts around this room together. So, you know, as uh, we begin this morning, uh, we say we had the privilege of traveling to, uh, to the States, went down to Branson, Missouri uh, with my family and with my in-laws, actually. They kind of were a last-minute addition, and it was, uh, it was really, really great traveling with them. Uh, and Branson, Missouri is home of Silver Dollar City. I don't know if you know that. Silver Dollar City is a theme park. Uh, that it's, it's, it's really unique. It's like Upper Canada Village with all the old buildings meets uh, Canada's Wonderland with all the cool roller coasters meets Jesus. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd combination and, and, it, and it works. 
And, uh, you know, as we were heading to Silver Dollar City, my kids were singing that old classic, Looking for a City, by James Knupp. And if you have not had the privilege of listening to that song, I would encourage you to, we'll probably put a link down in the bottom, listen to this song, especially have your kids listen to it before you go on the next long trip. You will be blessed, I promise you. Looking for a city. But as they sang, you know, this song, as we kind of made our way down there, we, we found out that Silver Dollar City is also home to the famous Fire in the Hole roller coaster. Fire in the Hole, this, 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 this roller coaster, like you can see it, it doesn't look all that scary. It's been around for 50 years. That's what makes it scary. Uh, it is actually on its last year this year. They're like, we don't want to repair it anymore. When it goes off the tracks, that's the end of Fire in the Hole. And, and this, um, this ride, like being that it's 50 years old, it's, it's really, it's, it's just kind of neat. You go through this big dark building, you see all these scenes as a story is told, and there's two little bumps in it. It's not that big of a deal. But um, my mother-in-law, who's not into roller coasters and not into silent prayer, went on to this uh, ride, and as we kind of got to it, she knew she'd been on it once, and the kids had talked to her into going into it again. And just, just as we're entering the dark hole of the, the tunnel to go in, we hear my mother-in-law in the front row, Lord, help me! Right? <laughs> well, our family picked up on that, and any time we could throughout the rest of the trip was like, anything that Lord, help me! It's just like, oh, you know. I'm sure Silver Dollar City people, the staff are probably quoting it to this day. Lord, help me. Uh, and, you know, that, that uh, phrase was in our minds and reminded me a, a number of times. And, man, I love my mother-in-law because she's the inspiration for, for this portion this morning. But as we sat together, we all, we all stayed together, too. And uh, so one morning as we uh, were there, they had gone to a library. I don't know, like, you, that to me is not vacation. You know, go, go away and find libraries. Well, uh, my wife and, and mother-in-law, they're, they're book fanatics. And so they went and found some libraries and found some old books and bought old books. And uh, one of them she bought was this book called Answers to Prayer by a, a fellow named George Mueller. And uh, George Mueller, you can leave him up there. I know they're saying he looks scary. He's an amazing guy. You know, George Mueller, uh, if you haven't heard of him, you may remember this story. He's cited for this one uh, account of his life. Uh, often, and it's, it's really, really famous. George Mueller later in his life started an orphanage and a number of orphanages. And, and there's a, a, a spot in the, in, in, uh, where the, 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 the room mom or whatever you want, I'm not exactly sure what her title was, but she was the, she was the main woman who was uh, arranging for all the things that the kids uh, needed. And so she came to George uh, one morning. She says, George, the kids are all dressed. They're all ready for school, but there's nothing to feed them this morning. We have, nothing, we have no food. And he said, okay, send them into the dining room, have all 300 children sit at the seats where they normally would. And George walked in and he prayed and he said, Laura, thank you for the food. And then he just waited. You know, as he prayed, he's like, Lord, Lord, help. And it was, uh, it was interesting because a few minutes later, there's a knock at the door and he goes to answer the door and it's the local baker. And the local baker just simply said, he says, George, I couldn't sleep all night. He's like, I, 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 he said, I just kept waking up thinking, George, they're going to need bread today. For some reason, they're going to need bread. So he says, so I got up, I baked three times of what I normally bake. And he says, I just wondered, could you guys use it? And he's like, we sure could. And as they bring the bread into the tables, there's another knock on the door. He goes out there, and it's the local milkman. And uh, back then in their horse-drawn buggies, his, his, he had broke a wheel right in front of the orphanage. And he said, George, he's like, by the time I get it repaired, this milk's all going to go bad. He's like, could you use 10 cans of milk this morning? And George is like, yes, we can. You know, as they gave it all out, he mentioned that it was just enough for those kids this morning. There was no leftovers. It was just enough, exactly what they needed. And, and, and George knew. I mean, you know, we, when you think about his life, you're like, what an amazing man. But he wasn't always such an amazing man. George was born in 1805, and he was not a model citizen. 
As soon as he could steal, he did. He'd steal from his brothers. He'd steal from his family members. He'd steal from his dad. And then when he was old enough to get out of the house, he'd steal from anybody he could find. He stole with his friends and from his friends and then finally got arrested and did some time in jail. But not enough time because he still didn't, uh, there was no change in his heart. And then he was going off to college, and most of the colleges back then were run, uh, uh, they were all Christian uh, colleges, but he was going there to learn some other things. His dad was paying for it, and his favorite thing in college was not to study, but to go to the bars, to go uh, drinking, gambling, and just to make fun of people. That was his thing. He was the life of, party, uh, of the party and make fun of Christians specifically. And uh, then one day he was invited to a Bible study by a woman, and so, of course, he's going to go. And he goes uh, thinking, oh, I'll be able to, you know, more ammo to make fun of these Christians. And he gets there, and he likes it. He's like, well, that's new. And he goes again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And by the end of the week, it said that he finds himself at the end of his bed on his knees asking God to forgive him for his sins. And George is a new man. Something happened to him. He becomes born again. Something changes in him, and all of a sudden he feels called to be a missionary. So he goes home and he's to his dad. He's like, Dad, uh, you know, I want to I take the missions course in our school instead. And his dad's, well, that's the end. I'm not paying for that. I wanted you to get a good job. I'm not paying for you to go, like, live in poverty. And, and George went back. He's just like, Lord, I know that you've called me to this, but I don't know how this is going to happen. And he says he got down on his knees and he just simply prayed, Lord, help. You know, an hour later, there's a knock on his door. It's a professor. It's the first time this happened in his life where the knock on the door happens. It's a professor who says, hey, I'm looking for a tutor. It's a paid gig. You interested? I need it for the whole year and enough to pay for your school. And he's like, yes, thank you, Lord. As he finished school, he realized he was called to go to England as a missionary. And he was from Germany. But in Germany, uh, every able-bodied young man has to serve one year at least in in their military. And George was like, Lord, like, I, I, I want to go on missions like you've called me to do. I don't want to do this. Lord, help. And George just like, gets an answer to prayer he wasn't expecting. He, he gets extremely sick. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer to the prayer that the Lord gave, but as George walks through it, he nearly died. And when he came out of it, when he came out of it, they realized, they're like, yeah, you're not able-bodied. You know, you go do whatever you want to do in life. And George is like, sweet, I know where I'm going. And he heads off to England on mission. Just seeing, you know, even God's hand throughout that portion of his life. Well, he began to pastor a small church in England. And uh, they, they, the way they raised their money is they would rent the seats out in the front pews. The rich people sat there and they had to pay dearly for it. So we'll just pass the offering again right here. <laughs> and in the back was where the, the cheap seats, you know, where the people who couldn't afford it, where the poor would sit. And George is a, just a heart for all people said, like, this, we're not doing this. He's like, I don't care if I get paid a dime. I don't want this separation between the rich and the poor. They all should be able to just come and, and enjoy the, 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 the teaching of the word and that there's none of this, none of this separation. And so he said, we're just going to put a box at the back. And he said, he got down on his knees. And he's just like, Lord, help. Lord help, you, you know. And he says, you know, that they never, they never went without. He says people's free will giving just was the thing that, that, that uh, met all of his needs. He uh, never missed a meal, never missed out on rent. But as George walked the streets of England, he noticed something. Orphans, little kids, no homes, no parents. And uh, his heart was just filled with compassion. And uh, he realized that it was the Lord who put that there. And so he began that same prayer, like, Lord, help. Lord, help. He said, I know, I feel like I need to start an orphanage, but I don't know how to do this. 
And so he just prayed that simple prayer, and some stuff began to happen. All of a sudden, people are like, hey, this property's for sale, super cheap. Others were like helping build buildings. And then the wealthy people in town were moving, and they were like, okay, we're just going to give this stuff. People were donating all of this clothing and dried goods and everything. And George had this phenomenal orphanage, except it was missing something. Orphans. And George is like, you know, Lord, you sent everything. You sent all the stuff, but you haven't sent the orphans. He made that same thing. Lord, help. Help us to know which kids it is that you desire to help. And pretty soon, there's 30 orphan girls living in that first, in that first orphanage, and they would meet their needs. And, 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 and it was this same way that he would often just simply pray. Like when things were tough, things were tight, Lord, help. And it's out of that where he saw, you know, 300 kids in his orphanage were being fed bread and milk because the Lord helps. Well, in the last 150 years, over 18,000 orphans have been through George Mueller's orphanage. Why? What did George learn throughout his whole life? A daily dependence on God. That it didn't matter what was going on in life. There was like, I, I have a daily dependence on him. And it was this daily thing. You know, when he mentions there was, there was always just enough, there wasn't always a lot of leftovers. Why? Because the next day he was required, again, to just totally depend on God. And the next day, to totally depend on God, and God came through. And maybe for you today, and I think about us, I'm like, do we live like that? Do I live with this daily dependence on him? And we think about it in the, the realm of food and money. Most of us are in the spot where we're like, I don't really need to depend on him every day for that. I just go to the fridge because I already stocked up. You know, I've already got stuff uh, there that I don't really need to, like, every day depend on him. But, but, but what other things does he not require us to depend on him for? Maybe for you it's a dependence daily on him to walk in forgiveness. That you're living out forgiveness for others and it's like, man, I need to, I need to depend on him. Or if it's peace, that the storms you're facing, it's like, oh, Lord, I, I, I need you. The storm just doesn't go away. It's there every day. My dependence is on you. Maybe it's joy that carries you through difficult things. Maybe it's strength or truth. You're like, Lord... Our world's so messed up. I, I need you. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, but we've been designed to be daily dependent on him. You know, this week as I talked to people, I saw some people going through some really, really difficult things. Like, like life-altering, life-threatening things. And hearing them talk about, yeah, you know what? I just simply, Lord, help. Lord, you, you know what I need. You're enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. And then I've seen others who've also going through difficult things, the pressure of life, and there's this anger. It's like, oh, why is this happening to me? I, get, well, I guess I'm going to figure it out. I'll figure it out. And I bet around the room this morning there's things like that as well, going through some difficult things, and you've got these, this choice. Is it going to be self-sufficiency? I'm going to figure this out, or is it surrender? Lord, help. You know, today's message title is simply Christ is Enough. And, you know, our media team was asking, okay, well, what are the main points that we're going to put up on there? And I'm like, well, there really isn't any. And maybe I'm taking a page out of Gary's book. It's just one point. It's the title. Christ is enough. You know, jot it down. Notes are done. Christ is enough. He's enough. But do we live in a realm that we understand and think about that? And I couldn't help but think about it through Scripture. All throughout Scripture, this thing of daily dependence on God is something he's desired for, for us uh, as people ever since, you know, the Garden of Eden. But we see it in the, the nation of Israel in Exodus 16. You can just jot that down. You can look it up later. But the, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They'd been set free. And then they're complaining in the wilderness and they're looking to men to fix their problems. They're looking to their leaders, you know, their government leaders even, say, Moses and Aaron, like, you took us out here in the wilderness and we're going to starve to death. And the God of all hears that prayer and I think his response is, silly people, like, 
I'm your God, and you're my people, and I'm enough. Believe me, I'm not going to let you starve to death here in the wilderness. And we see it worked out in a, in a very real and interesting way. You know, it's, uh, if you know the story, they, God had just simply said to them, I'll send you bread every single morning. They called it manna. And it was like they had walked outside of their tent. Every morning there was this, this bread-like substance that they just had to pick up. And he said to them, gather enough for today. Gather enough for today. It's all you need. And the very first day they saw this stuff, they're like, oh, free bread. And they gathered everything they needed. And he says, don't worry. Just gather what you need for today because tomorrow I'll be there and there'll be enough. And the next day I'll be there and there'll be enough. And uh, it says, you know, but people, they gathered enough and then they tried to gather enough for tomorrow. I just got to make sure I have some leftovers. You know, they found the leftovers were moldy and rotten the next day. Why? Because he's like, no, no, I want you to daily depend on me. You know, and it said that the day six, he's like, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to give you guys a day of rest. That's my gift to you. You're not going to have to work. I've got you covered. You can trust me. He's like, you know, gather enough today for the next two days because you're not going to need to do it tomorrow. And it says that the next day there were still people out there. Got, why? Because there's something in us that resists this, this simple daily dependence on him. I want to do it on my own. And he wants us to learn to trust him daily with whatever it may be. You know, we see it in the life of Elijah later on. Elijah, what a great uh, story. You can read about it in 1 Kings 17. Uh, if you're interested, you can actually read about it in a book that one of our own congregation members wrote. Mary Jane Mallenberg wrote this book called Little Blue and the Greedy Queen, which is the story of, uh, of Elijah at the, at the river. You can buy it on Amazon. That's all we'll say about that. Um, but uh, you can read this story and hear the account, but it's ba- basically the story of Elijah. He's hiding out for his life. He's like, Lord, they're, they're after me. What do I do? And the Lord's like, Elijah, you can trust me. I want you to go to the brook Kareth, and I want you to stay there, and you're going to be fed by ravens. They're going to come and bring you food. Maybe we have a picture of that. He's like, I'm, they're going to they're gonna come, and they're going to bring you bread and meat every day, every morning, every night. You can trust it. I've commanded the ravens to do this for you. We're like, Man, none of us have ever seen or heard anything like that where birds are bringing food. But Elijah's like, you know what? I remember, Lord. You desire for us to trust you daily. And he goes to this brook. He drinks from there when there's no water anywhere, and the ravens feed him every day until the one day they don't. You know, here's God's provision in his life. Like, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. And then one day it dries up. And I think that we as believers, even today, go through things like that, where we see, man, we saw God at work in our lives. Lord, I trusted you, and I see it coming through. I see it happening in my life. You're enough. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, something changed. And it's in those moments that I would caution us that he's still at work, and he's still enough. He's just not allowing you to have leftovers. You know, for some, maybe it's like you come Sunday morning, like, man, I just felt the presence of God, that worship. Man, as we sang, God, I could tell you were like, you're, you're here. I just feel recharged. I don't even need a sermon. I'm just like, I just feel like I've connected with you. And you think, oh, this will carry me all week. And he's like, uh-uh. <laughs> Let's do church every day. Tomorrow, man, I, I want to meet with you. Tomorrow my presence will be there. And, you know, Elijah, he's like, Lord, it's all stopped. And the Lord's like, hey, now I want you to go to this place called Zarephath. I want you to go to some, meet this widow. Find this widow woman there. She's going to take care of you. I've told her to. And Elijah goes, and he looks for this woman, and he finds her. And as he finds her, he's like, uh, I, think, um, you know, I think the Lord's, he's told me to come find you, and you're supposed to make a meal for me. You know, we read the stories, but can you imagine? The woman's response is this. She's like, sir, I don't know what you're talking about, but she's like, my son and I, we're, we, we have one meal left for us. 
everyone's starving. I'm just gathering a few sticks just so I can cook our last, bake our last loaf of bread. And after that, we're, gonna, we're just going to starve to death like everyone else. And Elijah asked her in that moment saying, hey, would you just, would you just trust God that he'll be enough? Would you make a meal for me first? And then I promise you, your flour is never going to run out. There'll always be enough. And your oil is always going to be enough if you'll trust him. Man, if you were that woman, what would you, you do? Like, here's, here's this guy you don't know who comes like, the Lord told me. You're like, yeah, okay. But she does. She trusts, and she says, yes, I'm going to do this. And you know, 1 Kings 17, actually, verse 15 and 16 just simply tells us what the result is. In verse 15, she did as Elijah said. She and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days, and there was always enough. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Here's again that realization, you trust me, I'm enough. I'm enough, enough simply being that as much as is required. There may not be tons of leftovers, but there's enough. You know, we see it again as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Matthew 6, verse 11, as he's teaching them, he says, he says these words, give us this day our daily bread. Let that be our prayer. And you know, the context of this is simply for food. And like I said, we often don't have that where we're like, Lord, just give me the food that I need for today. We, we don't pray that prayer very often out of necessity. They did back in that day. But I, I'm telling you, I don't think that Jesus is just referencing food because a little while later, he begins to talk to them about physical things that actually represent spiritual things. And it is just recognizing the, and acknowledging a daily dependence on him. A daily dependence on him. Lord, I trust you. I know that you know what I need. And so I trust you. Lord, Lord, help. You know, we, we see it in John chapter 6. You can jot this one down as well. John 6 verse 30. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. Okay, so the day before, fed 5,000 people. That famous story, the kid's little lunch. He turned it into lunch for 5,000 and uh, then that night, he walks on water across the lake, and he's on the other side of the lake. And, and when he's there, the next morning, everybody wakes up. They're hungry. They all come around the lake and like, hey, Jesus, how did you get here? And he's like, I know why you're here. You're looking for food. And they're like, okay, well, now that you mention it, we kind of are hungry. Can you do that 5,000 thing again? And, and Jesus says to them this. He's like, what you should be doing is searching for the bread of eternal life. He says, it's right here. There's a different bread you need. You should be searching for him. You should be believing in him, trusting in him, the bread of life. And, and they, it says they answered in verse 30, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> okay, like I just fed 5,000 people and you saw it. Like you ate it. Like I just walked across the, the, the lake. You wondered how I got here. Well, I just performed this miraculous sign. Like, and they're like, well, we need something, you know, if we're going to believe in, in, believe in you, trust in you. What can you do? And then they use this. After all, our ancestors ate manna. They tell the story to Jesus, which I find humorous as well. People trying to tell the author of Scripture what Scripture says. And they're like, they say to him that, that uh, they said, Moses, um, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. In verse 32, Jesus is like, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He didn't have that ability, but my father did. And now my father, the same one, he's offering you again, true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us that bread, what? Every day. They knew that there was a daily dependence on bread. And they're like, okay, if, if there's this other bread, we need it daily. And he's, he says, yes, you do. And he says this, I am. And he uses that statement we talked about earlier. That's like, I am is, this is God speaking. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Why? Because I'm enough. 
whoever is thirst, uh, believes in me will never be thirsty and he, because he's enough. He says it five times in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life that you actually need. They knew their bodies needed physical bread. He's like, your spirit needs to be, needs the daily bread of life, needs, needs Jesus himself. You know, my kids, we watch this, this thing called the Daily Dose of Internet. I don't know if you've seen Daily Dose of Internet. It's basically what it is. It's Daily Dose of some videos found on the Internet. And the hilarious stuff, they do all the work to find it for you. But my thought this morning is we need a daily dose of him. A daily dose of his word. A daily dose of his presence. We've been designed that way. There will always be an emptiness and a longing on the inside until we realize that he's enough. You know, either, and I say this, in everything you're going through, either he has the answer or he is the answer. No matter what you're facing, he either has the answer or he is the answer and he is enough. No matter what it is, he's enough as much as required. You know, I think the hesitancy we have in that is that same thing as original sin. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, there was a rejection of God being enough. They had relationship with God. They're walking and talking with him. And yet in Eve's mind is like, yeah, that's not enough. I want to be God. Well, I'm taking the apple and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own decisions. Taking that fruit, I'm going to make my own decisions. I'll be God. She discovered, as we all have, the deception of sin that promises you can, you can make your own happiness. You've got all this covered. You can choose whatever you want. The problem is you don't choose the consequences. And when the consequences come, you find out you actually aren't enough to solve them. Adam and Eve figured it out, and everybody else has figured it out since. That just makes a mess of everything. You know, we talk about the pressures of life, and it's usually in those times, in those moments where you find out, I'm not, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. We saw it with Jonah last week. In Jonah's story, last, this is the official picture of Jonah. Gary didn't have it, but we do. You know, when Jonah's finally sitting in the belly of a whale or belly of a fish, why is he here? He thought, just like so many, well, I can make my own decisions. God, you say this? No, I'm going the other way. I'll find my own happiness. I'll make this all myself. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And then he ends up here. And it's in this moment where he's like, oh, death's door. What does he pray? Lord, help. Lord, help. Man, we saw that last week, the graciousness of God, the grace of God that allows him to have. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You're like, okay, you know, this was interesting until you start talking about these weird myth things. I, I don't believe in Adam and Eve. I definitely don't believe in Jonah. And maybe that's you this morning, and, and, and that's okay. That's totally okay. My question for you then would be this. If you don't believe in them, if you just look at your own life, have you not experienced the same thing? Has there not been times in your life where you're like, you know what? All my efforts, I try to change things, and, and in the end, just not enough. All my, all my uh, attempts, all my good intentions even, I find out in the end, I'm just not enough. I, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Or maybe you're on the other side. You're like, man, I can. Like my achievements, I've got success. I've got all these things. Like I, I am the master of my own soul. Look at my life. Look at how successful I am. And then yet you lay awake and go, well, why do I need a penny more? Why is it not enough? Because it never is. We're never enough. There's this longing on the inside that is never satisfied except with him. And so what Jesus revealed to us is that we would be drawn to him. Because when you face that pressure in life, whatever it is, and if you're in it now, you know it. And if you're not, well, it's coming. You've got a choice. I've got this. I'll try harder. Or, Lord, help. Well, or self-sufficiency. You know, I'll figure it out. Or, 
Lord, I surrender. Lord, help. You know, this morning, it's not just a one-time thing. You know, it's not just this one-time thing of saying, oh, Lord, I surrender to you. I give you my life. It's a message that lives out in our lives as Christians. When Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, you want to follow me? You need to take up your cross daily and follow me. It's like, man, dying to self is not easy. Lord, I'm going to need your help. Lord, help. And you'll find out every day that he's enough. You know, Paul prayed about this thorn in his flesh. Like, Lord, just take it away. Just take it away. Just take it away. He's like, Paul, my grace is enough for you. My strength's made perfect in weakness. I'm enough. Carry on in spite of this, but, but I'm enough. 2 Peter 1.3, Peter writes to the believer saying, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's enough. He's enough. Matthew 5 or 6, he's like, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? They'll be satisfied. That right living with God, those who desire to be right with God, they're going to find out he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. So in closing today, you're like, we haven't read the Bible much yet. Well, we will right now. Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verse 43 says this, those who are wise. Let me, let me finish. We're going to start with the last verse for this reason. The, the psalmist writes this. He says, those who are wise will take all this to heart, and they will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. That is, you know, as I read that, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't remember ever reading Psalm 107. I mean, I've read it lots of times because I've read through the Bible read through Psalms a number of times. I just never remembered. And yet this week as I was preparing, just like this just jumped off the page for me. And I pray that it does for you as well. But those who are wise will take it to heart. This morning, you have that opportunity, that choice right now. So if you forgot everything else we've said, just listen to this. There's no greater words than his words alone. Let me read Psalm 107 with us this morning. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. It's who he is. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has the Lord redeemed you? Amen. It says, then speak out and tell others that he has redeemed you from your enemy. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. And then he begins to paint pictures of people. People then, people throughout history, people today in this place. He says this, some, some wandered in the wilderness. They were lost and they were homeless. They were hungry, they were thirsty, and they nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty, he fills the hungry with good things. Some others sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. Maybe you feel like that this morning. He says this in verse 11. They rebelled against the words of God, just like Jonah. They scorned the counsel of the Most High. And that's why he broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one else was there to help them. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom and he snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for his great love, for the wonderful things he's done for them. For he broke down their prison gates of bronze and he cut apart their bars of iron. Some others in verse 17 were fools. They rebelled and they suffered for their sin. They couldn't stand the thought of food. They were knocking on death's door. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and it healed them. 
snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Let them sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some others went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world, and they too, they observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths, and the sailors cringed in terror. We saw it with Jonah. We see it with the disciples. We see it in our lives even today. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper, and he stilled the waves. And it says this, verse 30, What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. And just like all the others, let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changed his rivers into deserts. He changes springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wasteland because of the wickedness of those who live there. But this, but he also turns deserts into pools of water. And maybe that's where you find yourself. He turns the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and build their cities. They sow their fields. They plant their vineyards. They harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise large families there. Their herds of livestock increase. And when they do decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, it's the Lord who pours contempt on their princes, causing them to wander in trackless wasteland. Verse 41, but he rescues the poor from trouble. He increases their families like flocks of sheep. I love this. The godly will see these things and be glad while the wicked are struck silent. Those who are wise will take all this to heart and they will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. How many say, man, I've been there. Lord, help. And man, I saw him. He came through for me. You know, I was visiting my brother Frank this week, just seeing that prayer, Lord, help. And man, facing death, you know, facing the, the toughest thing possible, cancer, just realizing, wow, seeing lo- the Lord bring joy and, and peace. His wife was talking about how she's driving to appointments. All of a sudden, he just starts singing. He's like raising his hands in the car. It's like, <laughs> that's the answer to Lord, help. I want to close with this. You know, at uh, Silver Dollar City, they have this, these old log cabins, and they making maple syrup and all these different different things like they used to in the old day. And, you know, as you walk through this little village, there's a little log cabin church. And uh, they, they sing hymns there four times a day. You're like, what kind of ride is that? The best one. You know, so, of course, we got to go. we got to check this out. So we go and sit in there. They go, oh, this will kind of be cute. And we sit there and we begin to sing. Man, the presence of the Lord just hit me right there. I'm like, man, I'm so glad it's dark in here because I'm bawling my eyes out. I hope nobody can see me just as they begin to sing the words of a hymn. You know, the hymn that we sang, one of them was written by a man named Thomas Chisholm. Thomas was born in a log cabin in 1866, and Thomas became a follower of Jesus when he was 26. Ten years later, he became a minister, uh, and he was only able to serve for one year because his health was so bad he couldn't serve uh, for longer than that. And you hear of his prayer, Lord, help. Like, Lord, help. Well, the Lord did, you know, he went on to write. And from his bed, he began to write poems and write songs. And one of the poems he wrote, he sent it to a friend of his named William Runyon. And William Runyon was a musician. He began to put this poem to music. And he sent it to the Moody Bible Institute, which is a Bible school 
uh, in Chicago, and he sent this song to them and said, hey, you know, would you, would you consider singing this? And there was a man there named George Beverly Shea, and he began to sing it, and uh, they had a radio station there, and so he sang it on the radio. One morning, uh, as he's singing it on the radio, 45 minutes away, there's this little town called Wheaton, and Wheaton also has a Bible school, and there's a student there named Billy Graham. And Billy Graham is listening to the radio that day, and he hears this hymn, and it grabs his heart. He's, he reaches out to George Beverly Shea and says, would you come and sing that? And would you come and sing it at some of these little, like, those little meetings I'm doing, these little crusades I'm doing? Well, they sang that hymn in crusades all over the world as it became a favorite everywhere, and it ended up being sung in this little church that morning, and maybe you know it. It simply goes, oh, man. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto The truth of that. The daily I see is mercy. The daily he's all that I need. He is enough. You are enough, Lord Jesus. You know, we sing songs about how he's more than enough. I don't think we experience the more than enough until we're ready to acknowledge that he is enough. That he's all I need. It's not something more. You know, I just close with these thoughts. Many have invited Jesus into their hearts as a part of their life without ever fully surrendering their lives to him. Realizing, you know, it's not that I need Jesus and a whole bunch of other things. I just need him. He's enough. Whatever I face in life, it doesn't matter. He's enough. And that in every situation in our life, whether the good or the bad, we're like, Lord, help. Lord, my eyes are on you today. When the struggles, difficulties, distractions are like these clouds around us that distract us and take all our, uh, try and try and keep our eyes off of him, that we would just look. And realize, man, he's all I need. He's enough. Lord, I might not understand all I'm going through, but you are enough for me. Would you fill me with you? And that this morning in this place, maybe some of you, like my brother Frank, need to realize that his sacrifice on the cross was enough for you. That it doesn't matter about your past and your sin and all that. It was enough. It's completely washed away. And maybe you was like, yeah, I believe God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive me. He's enough. It was enough that his forgiveness for you is enough, that his grace, his mercy, his love for you is enough, that his word and his presence is enough for us, that no matter what we face, Lord, whatever I see, wherever I go, that with you, you're enough in the everyday, and that we would open our eyes, you know, and someday we are going to open our eyes in eternity, and we're going to realize that very truth, he's enough. I don't need anything else but you, Jesus. You are enough, and that is what heaven will be. You know, maybe today in your life there's some situations where as we've been talking, well, I should say we, where I've been talking a lot, okay. is that you have this thought, you're like, yeah, you're right. There's areas in my life where I'm just, I have not surrendered. I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to fix my marriage. I'm trying to solve the problem I'm in. I'm trying to do and do and do. And you're here and saying, like, Lord, help. Because that posture of surrender is the same as the posture of praise. And out of our posture of surrender, I promise you, you will find that you're going to use that very thing to praise him. Lord, help. Lord, help. Father, I just pray in your name today. That same prayer. 
seen throughout scripture, seen throughout life, seen throughout history. Lord, help. God, I, I don't know what everybody's been going through, but you do. Lord, you see them right where they are this morning. Not a crowd, but individuals. For those here this morning, Lord, that are reaching out to you, God, I pray that they would truly experience your help. Maybe they're, for the first time, just recognizing that you're even there, sensing your genuine presence this morning. And as they reach out to you, Lord, would you save them? God, would you fill them with you? Would you fill us with your spirit again today? Lord, I know that yesterday's gone. Today we're in need of you. Would you fill us with you for whatever lies ahead uh, today in, in our lives? Father, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to know you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on that cross for me. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for not leaving us alone, but filling us with you. And so today, Lord, I pray that people all over this place, as we walk, would have these words in their hearts and in their minds, drawing them to you, that they might truly discover that you are enough. You are enough. I pray that for every person here, for every child in our kids' ministry. May we learn early that you are enough. May our daily dependence remain on you today, tomorrow, the next day. Now, Lord, may you be glorified as a result of every good thing that comes out of that. I pray this in your name. Amen.